This is Mike. Welcome to episode 16 of Not Your Average Operator podcast. Today we have a very special guest, Samir Suleiman, Director of Player Negotiations and Salary Cap Manager of the NFL football team, Carolina Panthers. A little background on him. He was born in Washington, D.C., where he graduated from James Madison University with a degree in sports management while playing as a wide receiver for the 1994 Lambert Cup championship football team. He also played semi-pro football for the Brooklyn Mariners, winning the 1997 Garden State Football League Championship. Samir started his NFL career in 1997 with the NFL Management Council, moved on to the Jacksonville Jaguars in 1998 and 1999 as the manager of contracts, then shifted his talents to the St. Louis Rams from 2000 to 2009 as director of football administration, in which the team played in Super Bowl 36 during that span. He was then hired by the Pittsburgh Steelers and worked as the football administration coordinator, salary cap manager, team logistics manager, and was also heavily involved with the scouting team. He currently resides in Belmont, North Carolina with his beautiful fiance, Aaron. I met Samir in 2017 when he was with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I was a guest at their training facility throughout training camp. The main reason I went up there was to compare my soft culture to theirs and identify, share, and discuss different mindsets on leadership, communication, and training methods. Samir took me under his wing throughout and introduced me to the team and really opened the doors to a greater knowledge that I ultimately absorbed and hopefully that we can share with you today. We're very excited to have Samir on today's episode and we hope you all enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of Not Your Average Operator with me, Paul Mellon McFadden. I've got my normal boys here, uh, Mike and Raph. How are you doing there, Mike? Normal boys. I don't know if I'm normal, dude, I don't, but uh, I appreciate yeah. you giving me that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got a guest, so you know, I've got to throw to you two Muppets first. So how are you doing there, Mike? All right. I'm doing fine, Mellon. How are you? Mate. Is that better? World, top of the world, Ma. Been getting back into a bit of exercise myself. Feeling a bit better. Burn those uh, adrenaline and cortisol stressors off how about you rap how you going man um i'm pretty good mate um i think i already told you the story just the highlights for me are the videos that my wife has been sending me with my son and you know he's like making piles of pillows and blankets all over the house she says she'll just like walk into a room and so he's lobbing himself off like couches and tables and she's like yeah he's yeah so that's what i have to look forward to i'm pretty excited the bean, the bean, the bean. All right. And so yeah. as you guys heard in the intro, we've got a, a very special guest. We're joined here by Samir Solomon from the uh, Carolina Panthers. How are you doing there, Samir? Great. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's a, it's a pleasure. And so you're in LA at the moment. Is that right? I am. We flew out here today earlier today. Uh, we play the Chargers tomorrow. So just a nice five-hour flight. I appreciate you guys accommodating my travel schedule. And so in LA, are they uh, are, this, are the stadiums they got people in them or half full, twenty percent? What are you? Um, LA is do, does not. So we'll be playing in front of an empty stadium tomorrow. Some of the stadiums um, they're just starting to allow a few thousand fans based on what their state government laws are as far as capacity for for large events. So, but tomorrow will be empty crowd. It's it's, it's nice of you explain that because uh, down in Australia. No people are allowed in stadiums. Just the 
<laughs> just a bunch of ticked off kangaroos watching the game. <laughs> poor, poor Mike. I got to give you a backstory. The wall, of, the wall of the Australian rugby team, and I tried to explain a few things to Mike before the game, and he's just become very confused. Poor bloke. But strange uh, year, right? For sport and that crowd noise. It's it's weird watching some of the sporting events where you don't have that crowd noise rising here. It, it is weird, and uh, it's it's kind of funny too because they they implement booing as well into it. So <laughs> trying, I mean, that's about as realistic as you can get. I think. <laughs> I think it all really depends on who's pushing those buttons up there, right? Right. Yeah, strange. Right. Strange year, twenty twenty. Roll on, twenty twenty one. I say. All right. So uh, the topic today, as you guys uh, saw in the show notes and so on, is how to influence and build a winning culture. Uh, so what's culture that for me, the definition of culture is what the people in an organization or a unit will do when no one's watching. So for me, that's the culture. So how are we going to influence and build a winning culture? So we'll, uh, we'll kick off with our boy, Mike. What are your points there, Mike? Yeah, thanks, Melon. So I'm going to, I'm going to kind of bring in two different sides of it. And since Samir is the, the guest, so I actually met Samir a couple of years ago when he was with the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. And he was up there working with them, and he kind of took me under his wing when I was at uh, training camp and rolling around, um, just introducing me to their culture. Um, I'm sure he could tell you every NFL team right now kind of has a different culture, a different feel. Um, but uh, I was like, hey, man, I am, you know, dumb it down for dummy, and I don't know anything about what's going on here. So I was just a sponge, and I was there to just listen. Uh, I would sit in on meetings and Samir would be like, Hey man, hop over to here or come to the scout meeting or this and that. This is everything we're looking at. This is, uh, you know, how guys work, how they train, how they communicate. This is how the day's planned out, uh, everything. And, uh, what I did was I was drawing, drawing a lot of silent, like correlations between my community and, uh, the NFL community, in particular, the, the, the Steelers. And um, we still have these conversations today. We talked yesterday just, uh, you know, with him with Carolina and how things have changed a little bit, but they're still the same. You know, everybody wants to win. And uh, so the winning culture, how, how do you go about building that? Well, that's the, whole, that's the first part of it, I think, is when you join a certain unit, a, a team, a business, whatever it is, you don't join to fail. You want to win. You want to be successful. You want to be a standout, a standout company or whatever it might be. You want to go all the way. So establishing what's my purpose and what's the goal on a big picture level and then also at the individual level, right? So yes, as a team, we want to go to the Super Bowl. As a team, we want to deploy and kill bad guys. Uh <laughs> Does ever is does everybody understand that? Does everybody on the same page? Is everybody willing to sacrifice to get to that point? Well, there's an evaluation that takes place. There's there's training that takes place. Getting into situations and really testing your metal, your mental side, your emotional side, um, all of it, like action reaction type stuff. That's really going to bring out those answers. Um, once you get that is like, okay, well, how do I get you to buy into this idea, right? If I tell you, you know, for, for us, it's like, hey, man, I'm going to go out, we're going to go out this uh, Friday, and we're going to do a three mile ocean swim, and it's snowing out. 
It's like, how do you get guys to buy into that? <laughs> right? Because you're going to be whining and complaining a lot about this, right? But what's the point? Like, hey, yes, this sucks. Nobody wants to go out. Nobody wants to get cold. Nobody wants to swim. Uh, but what's it doing in the long run? Okay, maybe we're going to get a mission in the, in, the, in the future where we're working in nothing but cold water or by cold water. And you're in that moment and you can go back and be like, yeah, you know what? That three mile swim really sucked and it was really cold, but now it's not so bad because now we only have to swim a mile or something for this real world mission that's depending on lives and getting to do the things that we wanted to do. Um, uh, also, like, you know, I talked about yesterday and Samir, you can jump in here, man, is uh, how do you get the guys to buy into at the individual level? Like, going to each guy and be like, Hey man, do you know why you're here? Like, do you know how to go about your day? Uh, are you doing all the right steps to get to X, Y, and Z, you know? Right. Yeah. And you, you hit it on the head, Mike, uh, with just culture, I think, and any group of individuals, whether it's in sports, the military, a fortune 500 company, it's, um, it's really, what do you, what do you want to be defined as, as a group? And that group, I think culture is a, a primary key to success of, um, of that group. And it's what do you want to be defined as? Um, it's bringing everybody together to have that shared goal, um, usually of winning in some some way. Um, and as far as you know, getting people to buy in, I think it starts at the top with the leaders. The leaders have to define what, they, what the culture wants to be and they have to lead by example. They can't just say a bunch of words. It's gotta be through deeds, whether it's you know, a leader rolling up his sleeves to do the dirty work or, um, a lot of times it's what kind of behavior are you going to tolerate? You know, if, if uh, I think diversity among a group is great, you know, different personalities, just as long as everybody knows where you're headed and, and has that, that same goal in mind. Um, and when somebody, when somebody's not in line with that, uh, you know, is the leader going to step up and, and discipline them or are they going to kick them out of the group? Um, that really defines a lot when people are watching. But, you know, as far as getting it to buy in, I think communication is key. You need to you need to have a culture of transparency where you can tell somebody, you know, I remember when I was with the Jacksonville Jaguars, we had a pending free agent player um, whose contract I was working on. And, and the player felt comfortable enough to ask me, he said, you know, what's going on? He's like, you know, am I going to be here? You know, we went back and forth and, and we felt comfortable enough to be honest with each other. And, and finally, I just told him, I said, honestly, I think we can do better. And he said, thank you. He said, nobody else in the building will tell me that. I appreciate it. He went on, left the team, signed a, um, a free agent contract with another team. We ended up um, using a high draft pick on a player and, uh, that we felt was an upgrade. And I think it worked out for both sides. But I think, you know, as I said, communication is key. Um, after communication, you, you know, that just builds trust among the group um, because everybody has to trust that uh, the leaders are, are taking you to a place you've never been before that, that everyone, where everyone wants to be. Yeah. Uh, integrity. I think that's a, that's a big part of it, you know, is integrity and honesty and, and being able to do exactly what you said is, Hey man, just be honest with me and tell me like, am I going to be here? No, you're not. Okay. Well, why, why aren't I going to be here? Maybe then it's another conversation of just being like, Hey, you didn't show up on time. Your work ethic has, has been lacking, you know, whatever it is. And I think that's, the big starting point of building the culture is enabling it to self-correct. Yes. So 
it shouldn't be one guy, you know, like the general manager or the commanding officer, or whatever it is. It shouldn't be him have to reach all the way down and fix a problem. It, it's really, like you said, on the, on the leaders, on the team leaders, um, the unit leaders, whatever. And re- recognizing the problem, pulling aside and self-correcting at that lower level and not having to waste time and going. And then if it continues to be a problem, then it's like, Hey, this guy doesn't deserve to play. This guy doesn't deserve to go on this mission. Uh, everybody's in agreement with that. And it's not like one guy has to stand up and state his case. It could, it should literally be like, Hey, we stand up. Does everybody feel the same way about John Doe over here? Yes. He's not performing. Good you're not playing dude, or you're not going on this mission. You, as a professional, you should understand that. Right. And, and, and really, I, I think, um, holding people accountable is, is key too. That's a, that's, that's a key to having a good culture is just making sure everybody is doing their job best of their ability. Yeah. Yeah. The minute you lose that, then the individualism starts coming out. Um, and, and don't confuse that with, uh, with talent, right? I wouldn't confuse individualism with talent or what you bring to the table. Individualism is the little things that you don't see on TV or on the mission or like whatever it is. It's the little things that start becoming the problem when you're an individual. Go ahead, Raf. Yeah. Hey, Mike. And I just kind of want to touch on what Samir just said. And this is really specifically, I'm talking to anyone who's listening, who's trying to, who's a young leader, who's trying to be a leader is, you know, has, uh, is you know they're kind of going down this road there's nothing more palpable than transparency right so if you really really want to be an effective leader you have to be transparent not only with the people the women women the men and women that you're around but even with yourself right the worst thing you could ever be and mal and i know you can back me up on this and mike and samir i think you guys can relate in your own professions is to be infallible as a person, right? If in, in your mind you think you're so damn good at whatever it is that you do that there's no way you can make any mistakes, you're already, you've already set yourself up for failure, right? So be honest with your own self and just know that you've got your own weaknesses and you know, maybe there's, you know, just a quick example, if you're not good at ABC, but let's say Samir's part of my team, but I happen to be the guy in charge. Listen, by giving the reins to Samir to accomplish ABC, that's not a sign of weakness. That's a sign of strength. Like I have enough insight to know that Samir or Mike are better than me at doing ABC. So maybe I should be like, hey man, I completely suck at public speaking. Would you mind doing like talking to the general? Would you mind talking to this other company that needs to do this this thing? Um, So I think as a leader, if you're listening, be transparent and just be honest with yourself, right? Like like be honest with others, but also be honest with yourself. Um, so yeah. And, and just know that you could always make mistakes. You know, you might, you might make a call and be like, well, that was a wrong call and be honest. But Hey guys, you know what? I'm going to own that. Uh, Samir just said accountability with everybody, especially yourself. And that sets the, the attitude and that sets, sets the atmosphere for the rest of the team. You're exactly right. Rap. It's, it's, I also, I'll add to that about just don't be afraid to admit what you don't know. You know, surround yourself with people who um, their strengths are your weaknesses. And then as a, as a group, you won't have any weak links, hopefully. It's a, f- a funny quote comes to mind. Uh, apparently Warren Buffett likes to say, if he walks into a room 
and he feels he's, like he's the smartest guy in that room, he generally leaves. He doesn't want to be, he doesn't want to be the smartest guy in the room ever. He knows he's, he, you know, he's gotten into the wrong room. You know, it, it popped in my head. So as an example, um, when uh, I was at training camp and uh, I, was, I was sitting in on one of the unit's meetings and uh, one of the, uh, the coaches, he was just asking questions, you know, and uh, I, I was just in the room as a fly on the wall and I was just seeing how communication was going on with these younger guys. And uh, most of these guys are like early 20s, keep in mind. And uh, the coach is asking him a question and the guy's kind of like, uh, I don't, uh, you know, you could tell he just didn't know. And instead of just being like, I don't know, what's the answer? You know, instead of just being, you know, have, being a little bit humble himself, like, hey, I, I really don't know the answer. And then also, you know, this, to me, this is the perfect example of, of a good culture. Um he didn't say it, but then one of the older veteran guys was like, Hey man, Hey, this is, you know, this is what you got to look at. You got to show inside coverage versus outside coverage or whatever it is. And, and there you go. And this guy was like, Oh, okay. Hey, thanks. And you could tell he totally appreciated this older guy stepping up and speaking in front of a, a room of his peers, which I think is one of the hardest things to do, especially in a, an elite company unit team whatever it is because you never want to be the guy that raises his hand and go I don't know and everybody rags on you like oh you're such an idiot you know like what are you doing that you're like yeah yeah okay shut up shut up you know you don't want to feel uncomfortable but at the same time and one thing I shared with those guys and it goes right along with me is you're a professional you're a professional football player you're a professional uh, operator you're a professional pilot by definition you are paid to be the best in your in your job skill right so if you don't know something learn it on the spot so that you're not learning it in a terrible situation whether you're in combat whether you're in the end zone and you're you just gave up the game-winning touchdown because you didn't ask a question because you wanted to feel a little uncomfortable versus being like well now I'm getting blown up on Twitter because I just blew the game <laughs> you know and there's trash in my yard or something so just having that humility, man, it's, it's another big part. Yeah. Good. Anybody else got any of right. that? So, so Samir, did you want to uh, expand on any of the, uh, the stuff that Mark and, and you've just been bantering with there? Any other key stuff that you've seen around how to influence or build that winning culture? Yeah, I've been fortunate to have been with uh, several different teams that were successful and, and they all had, um, I guess, their own ideas of, of culture. I, I think... I think successful cultures, um, I think it's a fine balance between I guess, discipline and, and having fun and enjoying what you do. Um, I've been places where we won a lot, but no, nobody had any fun. We weren't enjoying whether of the environment or individual. Um, I've been places where um, the success um, bred arrogance and for that reason we probably weren't as successful as we should have been um and you know now with carolina panthers i, I you know one of the reasons i took the job was because i wanted the challenge of you know they they had a down year last year um i don't know what the issues were there uh, you know i wasn't there obviously but now with coach rule and just seeing it's how he builds the new culture it's it's as i mentioned he's holding people accountable um, he has a saying about being elite at the daily process. And what he means by that is, sure, I'm sure there's going to be times where we're playing teams that they have better players. And if we lose because of that, so be it. But 
everything that we can control, whether it's taking care of your body, staying in shape, eating right, getting enough sleep, studying enough film, that's the, those are all things we can control. Um, and, and to do, you know, if everybody does their job with those things, and then, you know, when we put them all together, we, we, we will be successful as a team um, because we will be more talented than some teams. Yeah, that was a yeah. great point. I, I, I love that piece around uh, holding other people accountable and having those sort of daily disciplines yourself to build up your own individual uh, pieces. Raf, you want to jump in there, man? Yeah, as soon as Samir was talking, that basically just came to uh, – we had Colonel Hines on here a couple podcasts ago, and he used to say you have to master the basics, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a lot of little things. Like Samir was talking about health, fitness – your own, you know, physiological wellness. And for us in the helicopter assault world, you know, it's just the basic fundamentals of flight, you know, instrumentation, customer needs, and all that stuff comes together. And, and it's interesting, if you master those basics, when the time comes and you're some, you know, and you're like a kind of a dire straight situation, you know, those things become muscle memory and that allows your brain to move on to a higher level to start executing complex problems right but you have to master the basics so you're not wasting brain energy just trying to do the just trying to do the basics so as soon as samir was talking i was like yep that's exactly what colonel Hines would say master the basics yeah good stuff hearing uh, both mike and uh, samir already been talking about that shared goal and uh, vision from the top uh how to, holding people accountable having that buy-in integrity uh piece about the people at the top modeling the behavior they want to see the team manifest and then a piece around professionalism and humility. Um, I really like that part, that part around uh, having a strong culture. People at all levels are going to be holding people accountable. So it's not, you don't, you know, that senior guy that Mike talked about being able to chime in from the side and uh, help correct the team. Good. All right. So, so some of my stuff around culture, I've been, in, I've been lucky enough to be in some really amazing uh, military organizations and, and business organizations. And I think that, some of the pieces that have come out already are absolutely key. So having a clear vision or mission that's been articulated by the, the leader, uh, that that's communicated repeatedly and clearly, and that that leader is manifesting that integrity uh, and uh, modeling the behavior. Some of that stuff around uh, transparency, I was hearing Raf talking about just earlier. I know Ray Dalio is an amazing uh, thought leader and uh, investment guy at Blackwater, and he has his underpinning uh, piece uh, is radical truth and transparency so that people in the in his organizations can uh, they evaluate each other they literally sit in the boardroom with an iPad and they are rating every single person who's speaking is getting rated like out of 10 while they're speaking uh, live and this stuff's kept on file and so there'll be like areas where you know my background might be uh, that uh, fast jet or ISR stuff uh, fixed wing and wrath might be having his uh, rotary Blackhawk stuff and he'll have like a, a 9.3 out of 10 rating when it comes to talking about helicopter stuff, but it might be lower talking about fixed wing. And this stuff is all rated the whole time and people's opinions are weighted for uh, their credibility in the past. So he's got that uh, radical transparency. Um, I did a Silicon Valley uh, study tour as part of my uh, MBA and we visited some really big organizations and one of their key pieces they had around culture was it's recruiting and they would your cv doesn't get in the door if you don't have the, the skill set that they're looking for but when in the interview process they're, they're looking 
absolute minimum for a value match with their values. But some of these uh, organizations we're talking about that what they're looking for is to the add to or build culture from the individual at the recruiting stage. And I hadn't, I hadn't seen that discussed before. So skill set, one thing, but actually recruiting for a, a culture match or a culture improvement uh, was a whole nother level I hadn't seen before. So uh, other stuff around how to get people to behave in, in a, a way that is aligned with a, an organization's values when no one's watching is setting people up with uh, individual motivation. And so there's a guy, Dan Pink, he's, <clears throat> pardon me, Dan Pink has got this great triangle of uh, motivation with three corners, one's autonomy, uh, mastery, and purpose. And so when those three are aligned, that individual is going to be uh, a world beater. They're going to be taking on actions, some of the stuff we've already talked about, at an individual level to further that organization goal. So the autonomy is uh, to be trusted to do what's right. And we've heard Mike talk about it before with some of his uh, NCOs. <clears throat> They've got their left and right of arc. And then inside that, there's freedom. You, you go down to get a uh, subject matter expert, how we're going to do a demolition assault on this particular building type. Don't tell them how to do it. Let them come up with a plan. And so that's that autonomy piece. The purpose is pursuing a worthy goal. And I think all of us, uh, that's already come out really clearly, having that overall mission or purpose is, is essential. And then mastery, the third part is manifesting special skills in meaningful ways. So being excellent at what you do in a specific area in itself is a key part of being motivated. And so if you don't have any of those three, there's going to be a gap. So an organization can focus on those three. And I've seen breakdowns in all three areas. And I know that when autonomy, purpose and mastery are, are in present, those organizations are humming along. Got any... Uh, Anything to throw in there, Raf? No, I mean, you, you just nailed it. But actually, it was a question for Samir, since you're a guest. Uh, just kind of thinking out loud here. You know, just obviously, you've had a very great career through your life, and I'm sure you've got a lot more ahead of you. But could you think back to your younger years and just kind of think like, right, it was these specific moments that kind of that gave me, that gave me the skill set to be in the position that you're in now, right? Because you're in a position where you can affect organizations, you can affect these big um, groups of people. But I mean, just, and again, I'm just thinking more for like the younger, the young listener who's trying to reach some milestone in their, in their life. Um, anything that you could just kind of bestow on like, hey man, when I was younger, I, I did these things, right? I listened to these people and I took these things away and now I'm in this position to affect, you know, something bigger than myself. Because that's, that's really one of the key ingredients, right? Sure, and um, no, you're exactly right. I think I've always had the mindset where if I'm not gonna be my own boss, then I wanna work for somebody that I'm gonna learn from, somebody that can teach me things I don't already know. Um, so I, I've, had, I've had the fortune of um, working for a lot of smart, great people. Um, I had uh, my, who I consider my mentor in, in St. Louis, um, incredibly smart man. He was a lawyer and a, and a CPA. His name is Jay Zygmunt. He was president of football operations and general manager. Um, loyal to the, to the St. Louis Rams for almost 30 years. Um, just taught me something every day, not just about the business, but, you know, um, the real world, you know, personal life, whatever have you. I mean, we're still friends. We talk once a week, but um, just having somebody like that in your life and, you know, and then one of the reasons I, I went to work for the Steelers was an opportunity to work for the Rooney family who, 
you know, they're considered, um, you know, one of the best um, ownership groups in, in all of professional sports going back to the 70s. Um, just being around those kind of people to take things from them daily. And, and not everything is, uh, you know, for every individual. Some things work, some things don't. But I've taught myself um, a lot, not just from listening and learning from those people, but in my mind, I make mental notes of, you know what, if this situation came up, if I'm in charge, I would do it differently. I would do it this way. Um, it's, you know, everything, I think life and, and you know, especially uh, working, you know, your, your career, it's, it's constantly learning, never being complacent, um, just always trying to feed your brain and, and get better at, at what you do. You know, we've, <clears throat> we've talked about that before, as far as like, when you see really good leadership and really good cultures versus really bad leadership and really bad cultures, you're, I, I know for me, I'm very appreciative to see both, even though when you're part of that bad culture or you have a bad leader that's ahead of it and you're miserable as all hell in it. Cause you just like, can we please change this? Can something happen? But it's not, um, in the moment it's terrible, but now that I can reflect and go back to it, I realize I've learned the most from those harder times because exactly what you said, Samir is just like, I would do this differently because of what I saw, what I heard, what I experienced, how I felt emotionally, I never want to feel that again. So I'm going to take the step to be something bigger, to be better than this guy. This is, this is the culture or person that I will never be defined as, you know? So it's, it's awesome piece. I actually keep a, I keep a running list of, I, I call it, it's, it's a word document. I call it, it's entitled things to change. And it's things that I've seen over my career that I, I'd say to myself of, if I was ever in charge or even in a position, any kind of position to improve those things that I think would help the work environment, this is what I would do based on things how I saw differently. Uh, Malin, if it's cool with it, I'll, I'll go right into my... Yeah, jump in, Ralph. Yeah. Culture. So I'm going to put on my tie-dyed shirt and I'm going to eat my bowl of granola and I'm going to tell you what, I, what I've seen, right, in my experience, 43 years here uh, in, uh, in military and aviation. So I've always seen success in everything that I've ever, well, not, if I've ever seen success in my life, I've noticed that the main ingredient, when you peel it all back, yeah, like they like to say, you peel the, uh, peel the onion back. It always comes down to one thing. And I said this before, everything is a human endeavor. I don't care if you're a computer scientist. I don't care if you're a medical doctor. I don't care if you're a pilot. I don't care what you do. It all comes down to the human endeavor. And if you understand that, then I think that gives you the ability to navigate through this kind of, you know, bowl of spaghetti of emotions and just everything that comes with it. And if you understand that, then I think the thing that drives, uh, the, that drives all the different characteristics and variables and individuals come together, it's being able to attain that physiology, that winning, I, I call it a physiology because that's really what it is. It's a winning mindset, but it actually does change your physiology, right? And I'm just going to share a quick story. One of the times that I was in Afghanistan, there was, uh, I'm not going to give all the details, but we were trying to get guys out of a really, really bad place. It was daytime. We had some special operations guys that were trying to get out of a, a really bad spot. They were being fired on. The valley was basically collapsing on them. And we, our only objective was to try to get them out of there, right? And we had gunships on board that were suppressing as much as they could. But even then, the intent for the Taliban at the time was to take, take us out, right? Spe specifically the Blackhawks, because they knew that we were, we were trying to get these dudes out of there. 
Anyways, I would say that that's one of the greatest feats I've ever been a part of, right? It's literally one of the, the greatest moments of my life where I was able to, we were able to fly in uh, after multiple attempts. And every time we tried to land, it just kept getting worse. It went from small arms fire to RPGs, finally, you know, a mortar that literally almost hit us. Um, but the point I'm trying to make is at, you take all the machinery away and you start, if you were able to dissect or even put us all in the room, it was the love for one another. And that's what I mean. Here's my tie-dyed shirt with a granola bowl. It was literally the love. I didn't want, I was accepting, I was accepting my death. I was accepting my mortality, but obviously me dying at the controls of a Blackhawk wasn't going to, wasn't going to do anybody any good. So when I say you're willing to die, I don't mean literally you should die, but you're not afraid of it. And that kind of clears up your mind to, uh, to, to accomplish it, whatever it is that you're trying to do in it, like to focus very intense, very intensely trying to achieve the goal that you did. And so we did some unorthodox things to try to get those guys and I'm not going to get into it. Um, I don't want to give away our, our techniques and practices, but we basically had to come out of the box with the gun crews and be like, right, I need you to suppress here, here, and here while I kind of come in danger close and blah, 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 blah. But I would say that one of the biggest things that delivered that win for us was our empathy for everybody, everybody involved, right? The guys on the, I mean, I literally, I knew the guys on the ground. I mean, I know their son's names. I, I, I want them to go home. So I put myself in their shoes and I was willing to take a higher level of risk, right? So I put my, I put my, not just my own, but everybody that was involved that day in that mission, trying to get that group out. And even the guys on the ground, we're all in that physiology together, that winning physiology. We're going to do everything we can. We're going to die for each other because we, because listen, I might only know you for this operation, but I love you. Right. And because I love you, I'm, I'm willing to die for you. Um, so again, that's, that's just my So you can go every which way from it, but I think at the core of any winning organization, you have to have that empathy for one another. Sure, you're going to have disagreements, but if there's real empathy, you're never really going to get mad, right? If Mal, like Mike and I have disagreements all the time where I literally just want to punch him in the face, but my love for him makes me not want to punch him. You know what I mean? I still want to, but I'm not going to. Um, it's because you can't. He's 43, and I'm much more, I'm much more <laughs> agile like a cat, and I can, I can literally call and dodge everything he throws at me, so he's just talking out of his butt right now. About it. Just yeah. to jump in on what you said there, Raph, like that, that example of um, you knew the guys, you were super close and you elevated your risk because you knew these men, you knew that you knew their family situation and all that sort of stuff. I've been in similar situations. I know I told in a, I talked about a previous podcast in operation over uh, Baghdad and there was a foot patrol south of the city that uh, just were getting the hell beaten out of them and we just ditched. I ditched the uh, primary task and went to help these guys and we stayed down at Vapors. These were men that I've never met. Like I, I didn't know them beforehand. I have never met them since. This is now uh, many years ago for me. But it was, uh, they weren't in the same nation, like they were, you know, but we were there in a shared goal and a, and a shared purpose. And we did a very similar sort of mindset of accepting an elevated risk to help these guys out because we had that shared vision and shared shared goal and that empathy piece like I, you know you're talking to a guy and you're hearing the rounds going off in the background and the dogs attacking them and all all that sort of mayhem you can't help but put yourself in your shoes and exactly what you're saying you're not you're not going to sit there and say well you know the rules say x y and z and i'm not going to come and help you so i think there's real uh empathy is a real 
teapot culture. What, um, Samir, what, what are, uh, some examples like really good, maybe some, some examples of like players or coaches and stuff that have really gone above and beyond, so to speak, but really been that, that positivity, like that we're talking about. Have you seen really good examples of that? I have. I mean, I know, you know, talking about empathy, I remember um, one thing that we did when I was at the Steelers, we had a rookie player who had a, suffered a serious season ending injury and we flew in his parents to be with him while he had that surgery. You know, it's a small gesture, but I've never been with a team that had done that before any other team. And, and I'm sure the, the kid appreciated it. You know, we, we, they, one of the keys to the Steelers success over these, all these years, going back to the seventies is, they do have a a, a um, family-like tight family knit culture there that um, they did try to get to know the players during the draft process, uh, you know, away from the, the programmed um, interview questions and, and just try to get to know what makes them tick on a personal level. Yeah, that's great. I, you know, I can bring up that one quote. It goes back to, you know, if you do what you love every day, you'll never work a day in your life. You know, I, I really go back and think about sometimes when, when I'm waking up and, you know, what, what I'm doing for the day is really, really hard or something that I have to go through. And it's just like, yeah, this is going to be a two by four to the forehead again. But I, I, I go back to it and I'm like, well, but I'm extremely lucky and blessed to like be where I'm at doing what I'm doing with the people that I'm doing it with. It, when I, you know, you really get that, that aspect of it, man, it, it kind of blows me out of my shoes and puts me back of like, wow, this is where I'm at right now. And I'm being paid like this, this is a cool job. Like, yes, it is a job by any, by every means I go to work, I get a paycheck, you know, the, the whole deal. Um, but at the same time, it's just so unique. And, and it's just like, man, I'm, am, am I really working right now? I mean, I'm having fun doing this stuff you know so it's a really cool aspect but yeah when you get to go to a, a place where it is very tight where you got a really tight community a tight brotherhood sisterhood a really tight family environment man i mean that's where you want to work you know I, i'm sure you know raps brought it up before you could go to a place and you work with a bunch of really you know elite dudes and everything but every single one of them are jackasses and it's just like i don't want to work here but hey you know you go to the you could go down and you be a janitor but you work with five of the best dudes that are janitors. And it's just like, dude, I love my job. I love going to work. I talk to these guys. We work well together. We gel. We have that flow together. Like that's, that's enjoyment, you know? So figuring out how to blend the two. I mean, that's, that, that's the, that's the best part. It's the whole conversation, the culture, you know? I've got a question for you, Samir. Where have you seen uh, the biggest building of the culture? So I know that we've, we've all talked about perhaps some like elite teams or units that we've been part of where the culture has been really good. Where have you seen that transformation? Well, um, so I'll, until I came to the Panthers, my first team, uh, so I started at the league office and then I went to the Jacksonville Jaguars and they were already, they were already, I went to them their third year into their playoff run. So they were like a, an ascending playoff team. Um, and they were built, you know, with, with coach Coughlin, they were, they had, you know, it was a culture of discipline. Um, you know, everybody, he, he, what I appreciated most about him, like, you know, going back to the just expected everybody to do your job. But, um, you know, the grounds crew or, or, you know, the head of personnel, he just had everybody 
do your job and, and do it to the best of your ability and we'll be fine. Um, then when I left them to go to the St. Louis Rams, they had just won the Super Bowl. Um, so again, it was more kind of maintaining that championship culture that it, they had just achieved. Um, then when, when I went to the Pittsburgh Steelers, obviously they had won, uh, they had already won six Super Bowls. So, you know, you could kind of see the, the culture there. Um, again, it started back in the 70s when they were winning championships where um, I really felt like everybody in the building was working towards getting number seven. And, you know, and, and it was kind of, it was, it was surprising to me because it was even people that weren't involved on the business side, or I'm sorry, weren't involved on the football side where they were getting excited, you know, just about, you know, number seven and want another ring. And, um, but, you know, in terms of just being hands-on, and again, I, I mentioned it before, wanting the challenge of coming to, to Carolina and seeing what Coach Wool is doing here, it's, it's, you know, he holds his assistants accountable. He holds, um, uh, the operations people accountable. You know, we, we, he has, he has players, you know, one of the things we do after practice, after a tough, hard practice, he'll ask the players to run conditioning sprints. Well, he asked um, the coaches and, and me and the operations staff to run more sprints than the players because he doesn't want to, you know, it goes back to what I said about rolling up your sleeves, leading by example. He doesn't want the players to, or, you know, ask them from other players that we wouldn't do ourselves. Um, as a result, I pulled a hamstring a few weeks ago, but that's okay. <laughs> but it, it, his point is, um, you know, and it goes back to doing the little things. Is he, he, we, after a hard practice, he wants us to do more conditioning because he says, listen, we're going to be in great shape come the fourth quarter, and we're not going to lose because we're out of shape. You know, this, these are the little things you do now that are going to translate at some point during the season. That's interesting. It's, I mean, that's, that's a, <laughs> I'm picturing you in a business shirt suit and tie running up and down the, the bleachers. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that, yeah. <laughs> Mike had that really good piece earlier about the guys doing their, uh, you know, additional period of time in the in the cold water and all that sort of stuff. It's not necessarily that that's going to directly build a skill, but what it does build is resilience and toughness and grit and it, it builds faith in the people around you. You know what, you've seen them suffer. You know what they're capable of doing. And you know that those people around you are going to put their heart on the line in that last, you know, push to the objective for Mike or in the, you know, that last uh, five-minute play. So that there's something around that shared suffering. I know that all of us have been in teams where you've, you've shared that and that builds something, you know, something special. Go ahead, Ralph. Yeah, if I could just add, and I think this is important, for anyone who hasn't uh, experienced it, being able to reach that that level of um, suffering, I'll just call it, you really just can't do it just for the sake of suffering. There ha it has to be purpose-driven, right? And I'm sure Samir and all you guys can relate to the fact that nobody, like Mike said, you don't want to just sit in cold water just to sit in cold water. There has to be a purpose behind and then that has to be integrated into the individual. And you're like, oh, right, I'm suffering for the next 30 minutes because there's a cause greater than I, right? So if, the, if that, if that purpose isn't there, no one's going to buy off on it. And you're not really, you know, now you're going to have to be more of a slave driver, so to speak, where you're trying to force them to do it versus everyone's willing to do it. Right. Cause it's purpose driven. And I think that's really important because nobody likes to suffer. It's like having a six pack. Why do you want a six pack? Cause they'll want to look good. Well, that plan will go out the window in about three days when somebody puts a carrot cake in front of you. <laughs> yeah. We also go back to the point of Hollywood muscles count only, right? Raf has stated that. So 
And then uh, what was yeah. it, Melon? Uh, squats and sprints. That's it. Squats and sprints. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm all about I'm all about concentration, curls, and bro science. <laughs> all about just staying in just good enough shape just to be able to do any hunt that I want. So. <laughs> Yeah, so so I, I put it out in the introduction there too as well, but uh, just so everybody knows, uh, Samir is a very big hunter as well, which uh, maybe in a future episode we can really get into some uh, some stories of uh, his travel and some other hunting he shared with me. Uh, I'm very, I'm quite jealous of some of the hunts that he's got to do in uh, in Africa. He actually got to go to Africa to hunt animals. Um, I was there hunting other animals, you know, but whatever. Um, his was much more enjoyable. Um, but yeah, very avid hunter, been all over the world, got to see a lot of cool stuff and, uh, some really great perspective outside of this, uh, this business, uh, culture side of it, but just life in general, man, he's got, he's got so much to offer. Well, we won't keep you guys uh, out there too much longer. We'll do a quick uh, recap here. So across the board, there's been some common points here. So purpose and goal for the team buy-in and there's that question of why the leadership at the top modeling the integrity and the team or organization can then self-correct leaders asking questions and then there's a piece around professionalism and humility and those are all from mike samir to uh some really great stuff around doing your job to the best of your ability what do you want to be defined as having a shared goal communication from the top down building trust some a whole uh, repeated piece in there around modeling behavior and uh, how do they deal with people who aren't achieving the goals or aren't matching the goals and uh, the whole organization holding people accountable, matching strengths and weaknesses to build a uh, capable team and having uh, some examples there, a tight knit family culture, the example of the family being flown out for the young man with the surgery. I had a piece in there around recruiting uh, for culture and looking for a match. And if you, you know, a, uh, moving even into the improving culture, transparency and motivation were my other two pieces. Raft transparency with self and others. Everything's a human endeavor. Master the basics, that great piece from Kelly, Colonel Kelly Hines. Having a winning mindset and there can be a physiology that comes out of that. And then that uh, great story there about uh, having empathy and love for the teammates and accepting mortality and then having moments of innovation on the battlefield. So from... Uh, the three of us, Mike, Raf, and uh, myself, we really want to thank you for coming on, Samir. Some great insights into the top end of uh, professional sport in the US. And we're, you know, I'm sure that the three of us would love to have you on a future episode and continue to draw some of these great anecdotes, man. It's been a real pleasure to have you on. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. And I just want to take the time to thank you all for your service. Um, <laughs> I know it might sound like a cliche, but I, I don't think enough people tell you guys that. So I, I truly do thank you. You're very welcome, man. All right, guys. So uh, if you want any uh, pieces to, to get onto Samir, you can send them through. Mike77 is probably the best place there because they're good mates. Uh, not your average Paul, not your average Raph at Gmail. Leave us a review and uh, send in uh, future questions. Perhaps you want to uh, forward some uh, good questions on a Samir. We can feed them into some future podcasts. So until next time, stay focused and look after each other. Cheers. <laughs>